Take your Bibles this morning and open them to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. I've heard many reports that Ben did a fabulous job last week, so thanks to him for filling in as, as we were off last Sunday for our, uh, our kids' fall break from school. They were off school. Today we find ourselves back in our series on the Ten Commandments, living the Ten Commandments, on Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. So would you please stand in honor of God's Word? And before I read, would you pray with me the prayer on the screen? Show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, just verse 15. You shall not steal. Amen. You may be seated. World News reports that city police departments get calls every day about stuff that gets stolen. But this has to be a first. Someone from the Colon Cancer Coalition called up the Kansas City cops to report a stolen colon. I'm not talking about a punctuation mark. I'm talking about a giant inflatable replica of a human colon. Stands 10 feet tall when fully inflated. Now, it was deflated at the time and tucked into the back of a truck, but someone pilfered it right out of the pickup truck. Here's the good news. When the story got out, donations poured in. After all, this is just a prop. It's used for health education for very serious disease, colon cancer. But enough money came in that the coalition could buy two replacement colons. And it should be added, they now have three because the police acting on a tip found the pilfered intestine inside a vacant house. And as the news anchor reported, this was a gut-wrenching story of theft. (laughs) Today, God wants us to stop stealing. And the fact is, we may be thieves more than we realize. Most of us, I hope, would not steal anything outright, you know, willfully, consciously taking something that belongs to someone else. But what we may discover is that we steal in ways that we're not aware of, taking things that don't rightfully belong to us, and yet we've never stopped to consider that what we have isn't ours. And so, today we're going to look at different examples. This is just a short little sentence here. You shall not steal. And God wants us to look at examples today of different ways that often within our society that people take what doesn't rightfully belong to them. So if you were like most people, you've broken this command by stealing time from your employer. I don't know if you've ever done that. I know there's been times where I've been at work, I I suppose here at the church, I think back to other times too and other jobs where Uh, You find yourself wasting time doing things that really they didn't hire you to do. And before you know it, a great deal of time has been squandered. I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, had a job at a place called AOK Controls. um, They did engineering work for General Motors, which was just around the corner. And I did grunt work for them. I ran errands, delivered stuff. I trimmed bushes. I pulled weeds. Whatever they needed done, that was what my job was to do in the summers. And they would give me a summer job. And so... 
One of the things we delivered was blueprints of the machinery at General Motors, and they'd run copies of it, and it'd be my job to go to the big copy machine and to run those copies. Well, blueprints would come with a big rubber band around it, and I learned really quick that if you're going to work at AOK Controls, that when the boss was gone, the rubber band fight began. And so I'm not a half-bad rubber band shooter, and we, you know, you have big rubber bands with blueprints, and, and sure enough, you know, I'd be sitting there putting it on my thumb, trying to go five feet or whatever, and no, these people, when the boss left, the rubber bands came out, and they were shooting them, you know, 30, 40 feet across the big open room that was in the building there, and sure enough, you, you, you put it this way, and you twist it around the side so that there's actually more tension on one side of the rubber band than the other side of the rubber band, and then... You let it go, and it zings across the room. And I remember one time, they started a rubber band fight. An hour and ten minutes later, the rubber band war ended. I don't know that we were paid to do that. In fact, I'm pretty sure we weren't paid to do that. (laughs) And we stole time. Now, I do think there's time. Every job should have some time for interaction. Every job, job should have some time for fun and realize that it's, it's part of a good workplace environment to allow employees to interact and to have fun together. And so it's a tough balance to know what is that line and then what is becoming you know, to the place where we're actually stealing the time that we've been rightfully paid for and we've agreed to work for that amount of time and we're stealing it from our employer. I remember my dad coming home from work one day all frustrated at work because um, he'd keep getting called along with a group of other men to investigate why the line kept shutting down at General Motors. He worked at, at General Motors, Saginaw Steering Gear is what it was called. They didn't produce cars there. They make all the transmission parts that go into cars. And... The, the line on some of the parts would shut down, and they'd go out and investigate and try to figure out what is going on, why does this line keep shutting down, and nobody could figure out what was wrong with it. And after several months of this happening, you know, once, twice a week, somebody finally figured out what it was. There's an emergency stop button so that if somebody were to get caught in the production line, you know, they can stop it instantly so, so nobody gets mutilated in the line. And somebody noticed that the big red emergency stop button had nicks and scratches and huge gouges out of it, and then they noticed that there were parts laying underneath that red button that had gouges as well. And finally, somebody put two and two together. A couple guys on the line, they'd make parts, and from time to time, they'd grab a part and chuck it through the air at the emergency stop button. And if they got lucky enough to hit the button, they'd got a three-hour break while everybody came out to figure out why the line shut down. And so they'd make parts and chuck them at the, at the emergency stop, and a couple times a week, they'd get a free break. And sit there, take a break while the, the mechanics would come and try to figure out, why is our line down today? And now you know. Now you know why your car costs so much when you go to the dealership to buy it. No, the, uh, but it's true. There's times where we take a break from work that is far beyond what has been granted to us by our employer just yesterday, you know, I was thinking through the sermon in my head, and we pulled in the Meyer parking lot, and Bethann needed to run in. She had some coupons to get cereal real cheap, and so she ran inside. I parked the car. The kids are in the car, and Noah, he says this. He goes, hey, Dad, now I see how Meyer employees get a break, and there were two employees standing at the cart corral. Their job was to corral carts, but they were standing there talking, and literally, they only talked for, like, 20 seconds, so they weren't violating any job, and they may have been talking about their job, but it was so funny that right within that moment, he looked and said, I see how Meyer employees get their break. 
They just go outside and stand by the cart corral and, and talk. Well, you know as well as I do that some breaks are more than just a needed restroom break or more than just a quick conversation. They grow into a time when we are really stealing from our employers. And I've worked, I've worked where people amazingly have bathroom breaks in the factory that would last an hour long. And amazingly, I'd smell cigar smells from there, which you weren't allowed to smoke at work. And the newspapers would disappear. And they'd be gone for the next hour. You see, if you're like most people, you've broken this command by stealing time from your employer. If you're like most people, you've broken this command by keeping work resources for personal use. Now, the most obvious is that people in department stores and big box stores may steal stuff and shoplift from the employer. And most shoplifting occurs not from consumers. Most shoplifting occurs from employees. And it might surprise you to learn how much is stolen here in America every year. $50 billion worth of merchandise is stolen off the shelves of American stores every single year by employees. $50 billion. In fact, 7% of businesses' annual revenue is lost due to theft. The percent of employees who have stolen at least once from their employer, now, I'll let you guess at this. How many of you, how many employees who have stolen from their employer, do you think it's 25, 50, 75, or 100%? We'll keep it in you know, quarters there. So how many of you think 25% of employees have stolen something from their employer? A couple of you. How many think 50% of employees have stolen something from their employer? How many of 75% have stolen from their employer? And how many 100% have stolen from their employer? Statistically, 75% of American employees have stolen something from their employer. 75%. Of those who have stolen twice from their employer, 37.5% have stolen twice. The percent of all business bankruptcies caused by employee theft, 33% of all American bankruptcies would be averted if nobody was stealing the merchandise. 33%, they say. That's amazing. The average time it takes to detect fraud within a business, two years. I remember I had a job once when we, I worked in Mississippi in the copy room. I worked with Stephanie, and she was on the phone one day, and we probably didn't have work to do at that point, so we were allowed to just sit there. And she's sitting talking to a friend on the phone, and you, you can just overhear what's going on in the conversation. She said, oh, you got a new job. So where do you get a job? Oh, McCray's. McCray's is a big department store in the South, like, a, like you know, J.C. Penney, Sears, um, a little more upscale than that. Um, but she said, you got a job at McCray's. Which McCray's did you get a job at? And you could hear her say, Northfield Mall. Why would you get a job at Northfield Mall? Why didn't you go to the South Side Mall, the Metro Mall? She said, and then she said this. She said, they got cameras at the Northfield Mall. Said, go get your job at Metro Mall. There's no cameras at McCray's at the Metro Mall. And we knew exactly what that meant. That meant that the clothing and the different articles would be walking out of the store without being paid for. When I worked at, there in the copy room, and uh, we copied, I mean, some days we'd sit on our duffs and not do anything. Other days we'd stand at a copy machine and run copies all day long. So we had a little closet in the back of that room 
Uh, there were three of us that worked in there. We each had our own copy machine. And then in the closet is where we stored all the copy paper. Maybe we had 20 boxes of paper that, you know, and the boxes are filled with paper reams. And one summer, we had a college student who came and worked in there as well. And Jason, he was there for the summer. When time came for him to go back to college, I remember his last day at work. When he said goodbye, he said, maybe I'll see you next summer, maybe I won't. We said, well, have a good school year. He then walked into that little storage room, grabbed a box of paper, walked out and said, well, this should take care of the school year and all the papers are right this year. And out he went and just walked out of Watkins Ludlam Law Firm with an entire box filled with probably 10 reams of paper, thousands of sheets, and out the door he went. Never asked a question. And the truth is, when we have jobs... What our employer pays for belongs to them. It doesn't belong to us. And we should be mindful. Now, I will confess, I got a pen in my pocket this morning. It's a church pen. I got it out of the drawer. I'll make my confession right now. That is next to my bed. I take pens home all the time because I want one in my pocket on Sunday morning. So I grab one in the office and then I go home at the end of the day. And when I change clothes out of a suit, I always got a pen in my pocket. So I throw it back in the drawer and I try to remember to bring them back. But I will confess to you, I am sure that there are some church pens that have made it to my house. And pens and pencils disappear fast. I know my wife said at the hospital they must spend a fortune on pens for all the documents that have to get signed and all the pens that disappear there at the hospital. There's small things that happen unintentionally. But the truth is a lot of people walk out with things of value that belong to their employer. And if you're like most people, if you're like most people, you've broken this command by keeping work resources for personal use. If you're like most people, you've broken this command by underreporting your income to the government. I can't tell you how many times since the time I was 12 years old, I've had people come up to me and with a wink in their eyes say, you should take this job, you should do this because you'll get paid cash. Wink, wink, as if to say, you don't have to pay taxes on that. Well, wink, wink back, did you know you're supposed to report your cash earnings to the government and pay taxes on them? But the fact is, most of us don't. We steal that money from the government. In fact, if this year everyone would accurately report their income on their taxes, there would be $387 billion more collected by the IRS. Talk about our national debt, you could wipe it out in a matter of several years. I'm sure they would spend it on something else. But the... Uh, <laughs> But $387 billion, and you want to know what? Pastors aren't immune to this one. You know, pastors are paid, oftentimes, it's often in a check form, but when we do a funeral or a wedding, we're often paid for that. And oftentimes, like if I do a funeral, oftentimes the funeral home will hand me a check for that. And the fact is, I don't get enough checks from a funeral home that they need to report that to the IRS. So that all comes in as cash. So what I have to do throughout the year is I have to keep a report of any income I've made from funerals or weddings. And when I file my taxes, there's a line I fill out for my tax accountant saying how much cash money I made and to pay taxes then on that amount. And the worst part about it is, is the funeral home or, or people who pay for a wedding, they don't hold out taxes. So you know that you're getting an extra hit on those, not an extra hit, but it's still all due when tax time comes around on that money. But all of us, if we make cash, legally we're to report that 
to the government. Now, I'll confess, I don't know where the line is. Like, if you're a kid shoveling driveways, I never reported that when I was a kid. You know, if, if you're, you know, my daughter, she decides to go babysit, I've never had her report that. But at some point, we have to say, you know what, I have been, I've done a job, I was paid for it. The government may not know about it, but I know that legally before God, I am to report that and to pay honest taxes on that. But if you're like most people, you've broken this command by underreporting your income to the government. If you're like most people, you've broken this command by enjoying media that you haven't paid for. I remember the first time I learned this lesson, I was a young kid, my aunt and uncle had come over probably to eat pizza and to play Uno with my mom and dad. When we were young, my aunt and uncle would often come over and play Uno for four hours. They played a 500 points, sometimes two games, play late into the night, and they'd tell us kids to get lost and go to our rooms or watch TV or something. And so it was always guys against the girls on good old Uno. They've graduated to other games since then. But I remember my aunt and uncle coming over. My uncle brought a, a cassette tape. How many of you remember cassette tapes? Those wonderful things that you used to flip over and have to play through. And any of you remember when the tape eater would, would eat that wonderful little tape that runs through the cassette and you're sitting there trying to get it all straightened back out and back into there? Any of you ever have actually cut it or break it and you've taped it back together hoping it will play through the cassette player afterwards? Well, he brought over back in the 1980s a cassette of a Christian music group that had come out called Acapella. All their music was done with, with voices, and no, there was no instrumentation. And he said, hey, you guys might like this. So he said, you can borrow it for a couple days. Well, we borrowed it, and my dad had a duplicator, if you remember what those were, where you could put a cassette in one side and a cassette in the other side, and the high-speed duplicator would play it real fast and record it on an empty cassette real fast. And we had one of those because he made all the cassettes recording the sermons on Sundays at church. And so I remember we made a duplicate of a cappella, I think that it was called More Than Conquerors was the title of, of that cassette. And so we're driving in the car a week later, and we said, hey, put in the acapella cassette. And so we whip out this just blank cassette because it wasn't the real one. We returned that to my uncle, and we went to push it in. And my mom says, did you guys buy that? I said, no, we copied it from Uncle Andy. We didn't have to pay a thing. She said, no, you won't. She said, you'll go to the store this week and you'll buy yourself a copy or you'll destroy that one. I said, but you don't have a, a legal right to that copy right there. And I remember we headed to the store that week. I don't think it was Family Christian Store back then. I don't know, know what it was called, but we headed to the Christian bookstore. We found a copy of it and we paid our $10 to buy that cassette so that we had a legal copy that was rightfully ours to play in the car. I don't know if you realize it, when we sing songs on the screens, you ever notice that there's down in the bottom of the screen, there's these little words at the bottom? You'll see that. It'll have who wrote it and all. And that's all the copyright information of who wrote that song. And when that shows up, that's because we as a church do not have the legal right to show the words of a song on a screen without paying what is called the CCLI license. And that CCLI license, we pay for that every year, gives us the legal right to show copyrighted words of a song on a screen because it is illegal to do that. Uh, we were talking about this in staff meeting just a couple of weeks ago, what we can and can't do legally here at the church. And 
uh, Tara mentioned, she said, well, they made it very clear at a children's conference, said you cannot play something in a public setting off YouTube. And I'm like, really? I'm like, anybody can access YouTube. Said, legally, you can't do it without violating the law off YouTube. Legally, we can't buy a DVD at Walmart, bring it here to church, and show it to any of you without paying for a church video license to go along with it because somebody owns the copyright to that. And so all of a sudden you start to realize that all the media we consume has a copyright license behind it. And we might think, really, is it really worth it? They make more money than I make, that's for sure. In, in the music industry, and in the movie industry, you're thinking that. And, but the fact is, God says you shall not steal. Now, it gets real gray in one area. But it's something worth mentioning because this is where we live. And that is, what do you do with internet access to media. So take Netflix, HBO, Hulu, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Digital, Amazon Prime, Amazon Music. How much of that are we allowed to use that we haven't paid for that's on somebody else's account? And the reason I say it's tricky is this. Legally, according to documentation, you are not allowed to use any of those services outside of your own home. You cannot share them unless it's yourself, you know, at, you know, if you're somewhere else, you can log into your own account. You cannot share your account beyond your own home. They said college students are kind of a gray area if they're off at a dormitory because they're still considered minors. But legally, you're not allowed to share that. However, I don't know what the right answer is because practically, the president of Netflix, the president of HBO says, we know people share it, we know people share their accounts, we are okay with that. I don't know where that puts us. That puts it between you and the Holy Spirit where you're supposed to be on that. And, um, and, and so that's a conversation my wife and I have had. You know, can we share accounts? You know, we have family members who have accounts on different things. Can we log into their accounts? And just in our own walk with the Lord, our answer is if we don't pay for it for in our house use, we don't use it in our house. That's where we stand um, on that. But I realize the companies, they, they're kind of, They've made it a gray area because they get advertising out of it and they're hoping that you'll eventually buy into it. So there was a, an awards, like an Emmy show just two years ago where they gave out a free access code, a person's own personal code to HBO. And HBO came back and said, that's great. We want as many people watching HBO as possible because maybe they'll want to buy into it. So I don't know where the gray line is there because the companies are well aware of it. What I can tell you is this, take Netflix itself. 12% of people that watch Netflix do not pay for their own account on Netflix. Of that, that's $500 million a year for Netflix that they are not collecting in subscription services for their services. $500 million. And so, if you're like most people, you've broken this command by enjoying media that you haven't paid for. If you're like most people, you've broken this command through dishonest gain. I don't know if you've ever uh, tried to make something look better than it is when you're buying, selling, or trading something. When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards. Any of you collect baseball cards growing up? Not many of you. I still have all my baseball cards. So still at my mom and dad's house, still in my old bedroom. They're still there. And, uh, but I have baseball cards. I have a brother, Greg. He's seven years younger than I am. I would come to Greg all the time and say, Greg! You see that Mark McGuire baseball card you have? I have three Detroit Tigers I will give you for Mark McGuire. 
That $15 card for three cards worth two cents a piece, according to the Beckett Price Guide book. But I didn't tell him that. I just, Greg, you want three Detroit Tigers, don't you? We've lived in Saginaw, Michigan. And, and I have a whole book of cards now from my brother. They're all worthless now, but um, an entire book of cards that I stole from him through dishonesty. And this command applies to when we're dishonest. You ever turn in a car and, and say, oh, the car runs great. Transmission, as smooth as can be. Great shape. Oh, the brakes, they're in wonderful condition. We won't have a problem with it. And... Uh, we can kind of fudge on the truth a little bit there. Or when we sell a house, we don't necessarily tell the reason why we're selling the house. Even when we take advantage of people. In fact, you've probably heard the phrase, I got that for a, a steal. Now, if the person selling it is aware of it, then that's perfectly fine. That's just what I call a good deal. My wife one day went into Elder Beerman. Any of you hear of Elder Beerman? I don't think they have it around here. But um, she went into an elder beerman a couple years ago when Anna was real tiny, and she was looking at the clearance rack, found a coat there. The original price tag on the coat was $100. She went to ring it up. The lady looked at her and said, this is your lucky day. I said, it now rings up for 99 cents. You might say it's a steal, but they knew it and we knew it. It's a good deal at that point. There's nothing wrong with that because they were well aware of what they were charging. We didn't hide anything. But sometimes it becomes really a steal because... You keep a piece of information and say, I can, get, I can get personal benefit from what they don't know. But is that what it means to love our neighbor, which is what all the commandments, the last half of the commandments are about? The first half are about loving God, the last half are about loving our neighbor. And is it our responsibility as God's people to take advantage of them or to love them as best we can? And so, if you're like most people, you've broken this command through dishonest gain. And if you're like most people, you've broken this command by giving God some instead of all of his tithe. Maybe this isn't one you've thought of before, but in Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, the prophet Malachi tells this to the Israelites, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return to you? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, maybe you've never heard of tithing, but God's people often practice tithing all the way down through history, back to biblical times. God's people practice tithing. And tithe just simply means a tenth. And God asked of his people to give him the first tenth of their income. And so one of the great things about Gospel Center is this church, far above the average church, is a giving church. And this church, per capita, has more tithers in it than the average church. And God's people, you, have faithfully given a tithe unto the Lord. But the truth is, across our country, that is not as prevalent. In America, tithers make up only 10 to 25% of the normal congregation. Only 5% of U.S. citizens, so that's beyond just the church, taught. And 80% of Americans give 2% of their income. Christians typically give 2.5% of their income. Even during the Great Depression, 
people gave 3.3% of their income, even though they're significantly poorer than the average American today. If every Christian in America tithes, doesn't matter what their income is, if they gave the top tenth to the Lord, the American church, if you took all our churches together, we would have $25 billion more dollars to relieve global hunger. We would have $12 billion more dollars to eliminate illiteracy. We would have $15 billion every year to solve the world's water and sanitation issues. And we would have $1 billion to, that would fund every missionary that's in the world right now. And there would still be $100 billion left over for any other ministries we want to do if every Christian in America tithed. Now, you might hear that, and sometimes people come to church and they say, churches only talk about tithing. Well, we do say this, God owns all that we have. And I encourage people to give a tithe. But I also realize that is a responsibility then for me as, as a leader. And I want you to know that my wife and I are committed to tithing. I also want you to know this, that we, you know, the pastors stood across the platform. We as pastors, as staff, we do not minister based on what you put in the offering plate. You can put nothing in the offering plate, and that won't change how we serve you. Second of all, you need to know that we don't know what you put in the offering plate. There's one room I do not have a key to in this church. I cannot get into it, and that is the finance room. I have no access whatsoever to any giving data. So you might think, well, Pastor knows I put in five this week, or Pastor knows... He knows this week I had extra money and I put in 20. The fact is, no, I have no idea. I don't know what anybody in the church gives. I have no access to that. We don't want access to that. As pastors, we are not to handle money in the church. This is between you and God. And so we're glad to just be able to serve and to pastor and to minister because God's called us to do that, not based on what you are able or unable to put in an offering plate. But God calls his people when they're fully surrendered to him, to give him a tithe of their income. But if you're like most people, you've broken the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And maybe this morning you realize just how easy it is, and you discover that I think every one of us has probably broken the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. But you want to know the interesting thing is, I've said all through the sermon, if you're like most people, but here's the biblical truth. You are not called to be most people. You're called to be God's people. You're called to be different people. In fact, that was one of the great things about the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites so that they could be a holy nation. They could be the example of what God wanted from all the people of the earth. They were to let their light shine amidst all the other nations and to show how they were different because they lived according to God's standards of living. And even when we get into the New Testament and God's people in the New Testament as Christians, Peter says in the New Testament that we are God's holy people. In chapter 2, verse 9, 1 Peter, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are not like most people. We are to be God's people. And God's people don't steal. As the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, we realize, God, you're convicting me of this. I realize this doesn't belong to me. And maybe we didn't know that in the past. Maybe some, God lays something even on our heart today. But we say, as your people, I'm going to walk 
realizing everything I have comes from you and being content with what I have. So we're not like most people because we're called to be God's people. But maybe today you've discovered something. You discovered that maybe, even as I think over my life, maybe we've stolen more than we've realized. So let me conclude with this little poem. A woman was waiting at an airport one night. There were several long hours to wait for her flight. She hunted for reading in the airport's gift shop, bought a big bag of cookies, found a place she could sit and drop. She was engrossed in her book, but she happened to see a man sat beside her as bold as can be and grabbed up a cookie from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore and not make a scene. She munched at her cookies and glanced at the clock as the masculine cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't a lady, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one or even two. With only one left, she watched what he'd do. With a grin on his face and a nice nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and he broke it in half. He offered her half as he munched on the other. She snatched from him and murmured, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also quite rude. He never showed even polite gratitude. She had never known when she had been quite so galled. She smiled with relief when her flight it was called. She gathered her stuff and marched to the gate with not even a glance at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought out her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her bag, she grasped with surprise her bag of cookies were in front of her eyes. If mine are right here, she moaned in despair, then the other were his, and he was trying to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. We hear this command, you shall not steal, and we think, oh, that's for the bad people. And what we discover is, you know what? Maybe we're the thief in ways we've never thought of, taking what doesn't rightfully belong to us. And God graciously comes to us today and nudges us with the Holy Spirit, and he says, stop, thief. Stop stealing. Will you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, Lord, we look at a command today that we're very familiar with. But Lord, I pray in my own life that this week the Holy Spirit might point out areas to say, you know what, that doesn't rightfully belong to you. And Lord, the examples could go on and on. But Lord, we want to not be like everybody else in the world. We here at Gospel Center want to be your people, holy people, righteous people. So God, will you show us this week where unknowingly, maybe unthinkingly, we have been thieves, taking what doesn't rightfully belong to us. And may you guide us, Lord, in your righteousness and into your holiness that we may not be like everybody else, but that we may be like Jesus. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.